if you have your Bible, would you open it um, to the book of Matthew, verse 20, uh, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And while you're turning there, I have really good news for you. And that is that God has the cure for the cause of our crisis. Like, whatever your crisis is right now, and we could say the global crisis, you could say your individual crisis, the good news is, is that God has a cure uh, for not just the crisis, but for the cause of the crisis. And those are not uh, the same things. And as we are reading through this passage right here, this is a, a God showing us right now how he had that cure for the people of Israel that is a cure for us even today. Uh, it was a cure that uh, was <laughs> the vaccine was released, so to speak. I know there's a lot of controversy about vaccines, but the vaccine that God had for our crisis was released uh, when that tomb was made empty. So if you've got Matthew 27, I want to read uh, verse 15, and I'm just going to read through verse 26. The feast at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or, or Jesus? So you've got Barabbas here and you've got Jesus both standing side by side on a platform. And which one do you want me uh, to release to you today? Uh, he did this because he knew that they'd handed Jesus over to him because of envy. This was a shrewd politician uh, at work. In verse 19, now while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him like a note saying, hey, have nothing to do with this just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Now, if you're Pilate, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to be sleeping on the royal couch tonight, so I've got to figure out how to navigate these waters but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Look, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Verse 23, then the governor said, why, what? evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. And in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. So you see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. That's God's word. So let's pray. Jesus, we're reading this, but this, um, this really happened to you. It really happened in history. So as we come before your word today, I pray that Pray that it would wash us the way that Pilate was trying to wash his hands, that your word, your water of your word would wash us today, to wash our hearts, to wash our sins away. We pray for that, Jesus. And in these quiet moments this morning, we know that you are near. We know that your spirit is here with us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Israel was facing a crisis, a national crisis. This is a crisis of where they had been, uh, an enemy had invaded, an invisible enemy is what we've been told ours is, but there's an enemy that has invaded Israel and is holding them hostage. And that's the crisis that they think they have. And so their crisis, uh, the cure that they're going to want is going to depend on what they think the cause of that crisis is. And this crisis in verse 15, it says that the feast of the governor, uh, the feast now at the feast of the governor, the feast of the governor, that'd be like ours, like the feast of the president. The feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing the multitude. The feast that they're talking about for those of us that just got back from Israel is the feast of Passover. And that feast was a feast that they celebrated being released from slavery uh, miraculously. So 2,000 years earlier, this miraculous, they'd been freed from slavery. That's the feast that they're celebrating and commemorating. And they're celebrating and commemorating it back in slavery again. Like that had to have stung so much for them that that crisis that they're experiencing that they thought they'd been freed from, here they're back again. Even the temple that they're at was paid for by Herod. Like it wasn't even their temple. It was all owned by the government. And here they are as slaves. Now, I think, when I think to our crisis, our national crisis is actually an international crisis. I I don't know about you, but you think, gosh, didn't we, like, didn't we already have this taken care of? Shouldn't we not have to, you know, a virus can take, take us out? Like, isn't that a weird thought that, We've been so worried about like a meteorite the size of a small Slavic country slapping into the earth or nuclear war or a a super volcano in in the national parks. And it's a virus that you can't even see without a microscope that is bringing the world to its knees. That is a fascinating thought of a crisis that's happening with us right now. And by the way, on a local level, so that's the the national crisis healthcare. um, The CEO of Walmart this week, it was hilarious, was... um, talking about how they can tell with their shopping what phase of the crisis we're in. So March 14th, it was hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer sales shot up by like 800%. Uh, Next week, you won't be surprised at all. The second week of the crisis was uh, toilet paper. Uh, Lots of toilet paper flying off the shelf up by like 800%. Third week, I don't know if you have a guess for what the third week was. Maybe you saw the article. What has shot up in sales the third week? Spiral ham and yeast. Over the last year, so apparently uh, people getting their Easter meals together. Now that said, here's the crisis as it stands today, our local. You can tell what crisis we're in by what they're buying at Walmart. Uh, any guesses? If you guessed hair color and hair clippers, you are right. Like those have shot up in like by 800%. Uh, and by the way, some of us, uh, some, especially you know, some of you ladies, but some of you guys as well, you are now officially remembering your actual hair color uh, because you had to go to Walmart to get that hair thing. Point is that the crisis that we think is happening, whether it's your hair color, whether it's your toilet paper situation, whether it's your health care or your medical, whatever, I would like to suggest to you that is actually not the crisis. That is a symptom of the crisis. Uh, a while back, for several years after moving to Tennessee, I had these uh, sinus infections like once a month. Like it felt like it was my monthly cycle. Like once a month, I'm going to get a... Uh, I'm going to have to get a, uh, a sinus thing. I'm going to go to the doctor. And they're... You, guys, you think it's funny, but it's true. Like that genuinely was happening to me. I'm like, I am so tired of this. And so I was doing uh, prescribed medication. I was doing over-the-counter medication. I went to a doctor and the doctor said, hey, look, we need to do sinus surgery. 
And I think that's the surgery where they like take an ice cream scoop and up your nose and dig out your sinus cavity and make more room for it, like it which did not sound very interesting to me. Um, and so I didn't do it. Uh, they said that my septum had deviated. I'm like, man, I, at my age, a lot of things are deviating, but I don't like a sinus. But here's, the, here's what happened. It was so wild. I discovered uh, nasal saline nasal rinses. Do you know about these? Like, it's everything that your body tells you you shouldn't do. I'm going to shove salt water up my nose. And this miraculous thing happened, which was, I don't have sinus infections. I haven't had one in years now. And what I learned was when I do this, and it's, I don't do the neti pot, I do like the cheap Walgreens version where it's like a bottle, you just like squirt it up there. And it's, it, by the way, it's not nearly as terrible as it sounds. It actually doesn't, it's not that bad. But here's what it was doing. It was dealing with the cause, not the symptoms. Because the cause was pollen in our country. My car is uh, yellow right now because of pollen. But the pollen was settling into my nasal passages and the infection would like swell them up. And when I washed it out with the salt water, the, the cause went away, and so did my sinus infections. My point is, uh, after a very disgusting uh, metaphor, is that what could have been a bloody thing, what could have been a surgery and a harsh thing, I just needed to wash it. And I think that if we say that the crisis right now is an economic crisis, if we say the crisis is, uh, is medical, is uh, government, those are all symptoms, and we can deal with the symptoms, but they're coming back. The cause of it, Again, right here, so Israel, they think the cause is geopolitical. And here's how we know that, because they've been trying to overthrow the Roman government. So if they think that the cause of their problem was geopolitical, then the choice that they make to give us Barabbas makes a ton of sense. Because in front of them, Pilate rules out two men. And if you've ever watched like, The Passion of the Christ, if you can make it past like the beating, and it's very hard to watch because what Jesus went, to, went through was very hard. But they, they display Barabbas as like this gross, disgusting, dirty, bottom-feeding, toothless, ne'er-do-well. But that's all fiction. Now, the, the picture here in verse 16 is he was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Notorious means he's famous. Uh, Mark tells us that he had taken, place, uh, taken part in an uprising. Like, he was a revolutionary. Like, it wasn't like some bottom-feeding scum that they had pulled out of death row. It was like legitimately a choice for them to say, and by the way, it says in uh, that verse we read up, uh, verse 15, uh, was that a prisoner that they would choose. So this was one that they had chosen, not just some random guy. So on one hand, you've got Barabbas, who is a political revolutionary. And on the other hand, you've got Jesus, who is also a political revolutionary. Literally a week ago, they had said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Palm Sunday, celebrating this Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Those were words directly out of Psalms. They were thinking he was the Messiah. Now that said, both of them, political revolutionaries, both of them named Jesus. Uh, if you have a King James Bible, you might notice that it says Jesus Barabbas, which is the Aramaic for Jesus bar Abba, it's Jesus, son of the father. That's a true story. You've got Jesus, son of the father over here, Barabbas, and you've got Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, uh, Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus, the savior, the one who saves over here. It's literally, they're now choosing between these two men. And if you think that your crisis in your 
country is geopolitical only, then who do you cry out for? They cry out for Barabbas because that guy had taken a sword. He had taken up arms. At least he had the courage to resist against this awful government. If you think that that's your, your crisis and the cause is geopolitical, then releasing Barabbas is the right choice because he's the guy that could do that for you. And in our world right now, people are crying out for, uh, some of us were crying out for medical, the medical professionals. We went, in our country, it's Dr. Fauci, and around the world, everybody's got their own, but we're crying out for medical help, for science. Can you fix this? Can you get a vaccine? But the problem when we cry out for that one is as beautiful and as talented as all of our medical professionals are, and we've got some great ones. They can't stop this virus. That's why they have taken a sledgehammer right, to this problem to stop the whole world with it. The medical community's solution right now is we just gotta lock you guys up and put you away. So if, if we have, uh, we want them to go to the doctor to uh, help us with the symptoms, absolutely. But if I'm crying out to them for my help, it's going to be Jesus Barabbas. By the way, when Barabbas walked off that stage, he walked off of that stage and off of the history books forever. We don't know what happened to him because he might have taken up the sword again, but whatever happened, it was stopped because if they put their hope in the, uh, the political revolution, then it wasn't going to work. If they put our hope in medical community, then ultimately it has its limits. The, the symptoms that we are dealing with right now, the way that we are dealing with this crisis in our country is causing, and by the way, around the world, we're going to save some people, but we're in a Genesis 3 world, and that means that these choices that we've made crying out for science, the 3,000 people that are going to die today of malaria, who are now cut off from medical support, that number goes up. It's this Genesis 3 world. If I cry out to the medical community, it has limits and it can't save me. If I'm crying out for a politician to save you, how is that working out for you? The politicians, we have some really godly people. I think of Governor Lee from our own state who loves Jesus, but he's working inside of a system, a federal system, a state system, a local system that is bloated, that is bureaucratic, that is inefficient, and you can only do so much in it. If you're crying out to your political system for salvation, it's Jesus Barabbas. I'm crying out for something that can't ultimately save me. If you're crying out for the economy to save us, mm. How's that working out? And now you would think, Darren, yeah, but you're saying those are all, how's that not the crisis? Why is this not uh, the cause of the crisis itself? Think about this in the economy right now. What is causing the crash? What's causing the crash is fear. Fear that it's not going to work out. Fear that this isn't necessarily, I mean, obviously the earnings have gone down. But if you're the airlines, I'm just going to use one example. Uh, in just the last 10 years, the airlines have spent $50 billion on what's called a stock buyback. That's a word you're probably hearing for the first time in the last month. And all that means is they took cash that could have been used for a rainy day and they instead bought back their stock to raise their stock prices. And so when this happens, their margins are so razor thin. These guys that were saying, the CEO of United Airlines just two years ago saying that the profit potential is unlimited for us. And yeah, now they're desperate and they're going to go out of business. And by the way, the money that they're getting from the federal government to bail them out is $43.7 billion. The point being that the greed and, and the avarice, uh, the, the markets are, are being driven by that. 
And those razor-thin margins, I mean, a, an economy that's based in debt, that's something that can't ultimately save you. Uh, governments around the world based in power and pride and, and gaining power and maintaining power. Uh, the medical look, the medical research that's all being underwritten to help with these viruses. They weren't being done before because there's no money in it. Doesn't mean the scientists are wrong. They got to make a living, but because there's no money in it. And by the way, why is there no money? Because the corporations can't sell it. You might be thinking, Darren, you're just making a big case against. Uh, corporations and you must be suddenly a socialist and go Bernie. But I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that all of us in our hearts, the greed, the avarice, the pride, the selfishness, that's what undergirds our entire economy. And I would take it a step further and say not just the greed, the avarice, but the number one sin, number one from God alone is you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry. God did not leave a clause to say that you could choose the economy to be your savior, for a politician to be your savior. There was no clause for that. And one thing I hate about these things is they just, you know when you squeeze your toothpaste tube this morning, what came out? <clears throat> toothpaste, because that's what was in you. These things have a way of working out in our lives where it squeezes you in a way we're like, oh, now I know what was inside of me because that's just what came out. And what's come out of me a lot the last couple of weeks is I'm recognizing I had some idols in my life that I didn't even know I had. And by the way, you think, okay, how do I know that sin is the underlying problem, that idolatry is the underlying problem of all of this? Think about this. If this virus had been released on the earth where there wasn't sin and greed and avarice and, and pride and arrogance, the, the economy would be fine because it wouldn't be based in fear. We'd be like, okay, but we're going to trust this. I'm going to trust you. You wouldn't be stockpiling toilet paper because you would trust that your neighbor didn't, right? You wouldn't be... Uh, Trusting in your government, the, the, the power and the pride, that, that, if that's all gone, think about, I mean, dare I say, think about what it would be like at a press conference without sin in the world, right? We wouldn't have a president uh, saying things that might be inappropriate. We wouldn't have journalists saying things that are for sure inappropriate because everybody would be in peace and humility. That's the world of, of without sin in it. And that's why I say that I think that's the problem that happened in Israel. They thought it was geopolitical, but God told them in the book of Hosea, no, no, it's because you have pursued other lovers. I, I'm a jealous God. I'm not looking for a sidekick, all right? This is not, I am looking for you and your relationship with me. And I think this, to put it a different way, a lot of you right now are looking for uh, the Antichrist, okay? All over. Everybody's predicting, is this the Antichrist? Is this the mark of the beast? Is this, that's, and those are kind of fun conversations, but the word antichrist actually in, in the Greek means in place of. Now we say anti, uh, we mean against, but in Greek it means in place of. And so while you might want to spend an enormous amount of energy guessing who the antichrist is, 1 John 4 verse 3 tells us that, hey, that man is coming. But meanwhile, the spirit of antichrist is already here. And the spirit of Antichrist is what happened on this day with Barabbas. Because the spirit of Antichrist, meaning in place of Christ, means that they said, here's Jesus, but we want Barabbas in place of Jesus. That to cry out for Barabbas, because he's going to release us and, and free us of this political thing. Maybe he could have, maybe he didn't. But the Antichrist spirit is when they looked at him that day and said, I see Jesus and I'm not choosing him. Instead, I'm choosing Barabbas. 
And we are doing that every day. We have an opportunity right now to stop trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and instead looking inside of our own hearts and saying, okay, but what is the spirit of Antichrist in me? Is it is, is Antichrist in me saying, I want this economy and I'm desperate for that and that's in place of Christ? Is it my own uh, pride and arrogance and my position in society? W- whatever it is, if you put it in place of Christ, we want to knock that out today. Because I would say that I, I was watching um, Tony Evans and I encourage you uh, at some point, Google this, go and look for what Tony said. Dr. Evans was talking about the active wrath of God and the passive wrath of God. See, the active wrath of God we see in the Old Testament. Hailstones and fire and, and brimstones and all that. But in Christ, right, the, we were reconciled to God. The wrath of that, that wrath poured out on Christ. I don't believe what we're seeing right now is anything to do with an active wrath of God. No. I think this is what is called the passive wrath of God. And what does that mean? Romans 1, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. He says, in verse 24, and then he turned them over. And then verse 26, and then he turned them over. And then verse 28, and then he turned them over. I think the passive wrath of God is simply us getting the answer to the prayer, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our best attempt to try to save us from a virus that you can't even see. That it's literally, it seems so tiny and inconsequential and it could take out and bring us to your knees. And this is God saying, look, if that's the way you want it, this is what the world looks like without me in it. The passive wrath of God. So what do we do? Like, what's the cure? What do we do for this? It's right here in the text. It's implied. They've cried out for Barabbas. Bring us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus and it says that Pilate, because he's a good politician, right, wanted to be able to not sleep on the royal couch tonight, says he takes a basin and he washes his hands of the blood of Jesus, saying, I, my blood will not be on, uh, his blood will not be on my hands, this innocent man, I am innocent. And then the people of Israel cry out and say, great, his blood be on us and on our children. And that verse has been used for hundreds of years to fuel anti-Semitism, and it is as demonic as it can possibly be because that is not what Jesus would want that day. Think of the irony of what they were saying that day. I'm washing his blood off of my hands. I'm his blood on me. What was the Passover, the feast of the Passover? 2,000 years earlier, the people of Israel had been through 10 plagues in in, uh, in Egypt, and that 10th plague was... You would take a lamb, slaughter, it had to be a, a Exodus 12, a, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, a bl- no blemishes. It would be slaughtered and they would eat that. In fact, everybody in this crowd saying, give us Barabbas at home on that moment had a lamb that had been slaughtered that was ready to be eaten for the Passover meal. But that night in Egypt, those 2,000 years ago, they were told that if you take the blood of this lamb and put it on your doorposts, up top, right, on either side, And on the bottom, the way it describes it, by the way, if you drew a line from the top to the bottom, drew a line from the left to the right, what did that do? It it actually made the sign of of the cross. The irony being that the blood of the lamb that would have saved them 2,000 years ago out of Egypt was just from a little lamb. This was the lamb of God. When John, the 
Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're looking at the spotless, blameless Lamb and out of hatred saying, let his blood be on us. But Hebrews 12 tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel spoke of revenge and of vengeance, but the blood of Jesus speaks of redemption and of cleansing. Pilate saying, I'm washing my hands so that I could be innocent of your blood. If he washes himself in the blood of Jesus, that would have made him innocent. The irony is there. So when the people of Israel say, let his blood be on us and on our children, Jesus would say, yes, that's what I want. That's the whole thing of Passover. You don't have to do a bloody surgery on you to remove your sinus cavity. I'll do the bloody surgery on me so that you then could be washed of the actual crisis, of the actual cause of your crisis, to wash away not the pollen from your sinuses, but from the sin from your souls. You see, Barabbas would walk off of that stage and out of the history books forever. No one knows what happened to him. Jesus walked off of that stage and to a cross and into a tomb and out of the tomb again. That's Easter. That's why we're here. Jesus didn't walk out of the history books. He split history in half. That's the Jesus that we get to choose today. The work of Barabbas, to choose that, the work, of it's exhausting. And Jesus, the blood of Jesus speaks of better things, saying that I'm going to do all this work for you. See, this world is going to pass away. As sure as we can say anything, we know that this world is going to pass away. By the way, science agrees with that as well. They say that this world won't go on forever. The, choice, the question is, is when? And if I'm crying out to the God of science. Okay, by the way, I love science. I'm a, I'm a nut. I'm a nerd. I love that stuff. But it can only go so far. To wit, all of these predictive models that we have literally been planning our entire country around, the best guess that we have of this many people might die and this many people might end up on ventilators have all been wrong. Not only wrong, like really, really wrong. They're doing their best. And by the way, the best thing I've heard from one of these guys making these models said, well, they, we're not meant to be accurate. They're meant to be useful. Which I would think to be useful, they must be accurate, but that's the best they've got. And it's not a slight against them. It's just to say that if that's your God, they can't get the future right. Jesus fulfilled almost 400 prophecies from the Old Testament that he fulfilled himself 100%. He has himself prophesied things that 100% have happened. He 100% said, I am coming back again. That's a promise from him. It's a prophecy from him. Do we want to follow man whose prophecies are inaccurate or God who can see the future? Not only who can see it, but who can be in the future is already gone there ahead of us. If I'm crying out, for help from my government, man, we have got a deeply flawed system that is ineffective. It's unable even to produce financial aid. I mean, it's, again, these are bureaucrats that are doing the best they can with the work they know how to do. And even they can't solve this problem. It's inadequate. Isaiah the prophet says when Jesus returns that the government will be on his shoulder. So all these arguments of communism, socialism, capitalism, democracy, all the isms and the e's and all that. It's all going to be answered when Jesus comes with a perfect government and in a sinless world with him. The economic crisis, 
man, what do we do? We just added $2 trillion at least dollars to the national debt. If I'm looking out for the economy, I don't even know how. Like, I don't know what the monthly on a $2 trillion payment is. I don't even know what the monthly on the monthly of a $2 trillion payment is. But what does Jesus say in the economy of eternity? All you who have no money come and buy and eat. Meaning, if you don't have any money, it doesn't matter because we're all in the kingdom of God together. That whole picture of streets of gold, I don't know if they're literally of gold. I don't know. But, I mean, how many of you guys are hoarding asphalt bricks in your safe at home right now, right? That, the point is, is that gold is so inconsequential in his economy that we'll pave the streets with it. That in his economy, those are things we don't have to worry about. Those are things we don't have to think about it because we're coming to this kingdom that he is not. He started on this day and in one day he's going to return and fulfill the entirety of this kingdom that started. And all we have to do is choose Jesus Yeshua, not Jesus Barabbas, not Jesus economy, not Jesus government, not Jesus medical science, but Jesus Messiah Mashiach. And I want to pray for you for that. I want to encourage you that if you are at home and you have never had that kind of relationship, like you think, man, I've never received and trusted in the work of Christ. Then I want you to, right where you are right now, just to pray and to do that, to, to receive that work that he's done for you. To, to repent of, of your sins and to repent just means I'm changing my mind, I'm going the other direction. And by the way, those of us who may be in Middle Tennessee, some of us need to repent of our righteousness. Because we think that I'm going to do this right and I'm doing it better than everybody else. I mean, like I said it last week, even pagans repent of their sins, but only Christians repent even of our righteousness. Because those Jews that stood there that day crying out for Barabbas were very righteous in what they said. They were very religious. And we might be very religious and very righteous in what we're doing, and we could be doing it with the wrong heart, and we need to repent of that as well. You've got your communion elements with you, I trust. Because what I wanted you to have in front of you is the reminder of this blood that Jesus shed, a reminder of the body that was broken, and ultimately the reminder of a tomb that is empty. The way that you know that the sacrifice was accepted. That night on Passover, I don't know if you're in the house, you're either going to have, first of all, you've got to have the lamb, right? And there's, in that house, every night, there's either a dead lamb or a dead son on the night of Passover, one or the other. And we stand here tonight with a dead lamb that was risen, but on the other hand, if you're that house that night, 2,000 years before Jesus, you wondered, was the lamb pure enough? Was he clean enough? Was it the right lamb? And the answer was answered when the angel of death would fly over and they were saved. The way that we know the answer was yes, is that tomb was empty, that Jesus was resurrected. It meant that the sacrifice was accepted, that your sins are not forgiven just for another year, but for eternity. And for those of us that would receive that work today, the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 12 tells us, speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. It speaks of better things than the blood of our government, than the blood of our economists, and the blood of our medicals. It speaks of forgiveness and of redemption. Thank you, God, for that thunder on cue. I want to um, pray for you. For those of you that have not trusted in Christ, would you do that today? And if you do, would you email us, info at conduitchurch.com, that you've trusted. I'm praying, Jesus, forgive me, confessing my sin, saying, I just, I'm tired. I've been, I've been chasing after Jesus Barabbas, the wrong Jesus, the in place of Christ. Today, I want to chase after the resurrected one. And I love it because all who seek him will find him.
If you're seeking him, you've already found him. He's already calling your name. So I want to pray for you. And as Jason and Scott lead us in one more song, would you at home partake of these communion elements as the Lord leads you and being reminded of it? And for those of you right now, Jesus, would you be with those that are receiving you, that are trusting in your work for the very first time, confessing with their mouth, believing in their hearts that the God who split history in half, the God who made history, the God who exists outside of time. And Lord, it wasn't cosmic child abuse, as some would say. No, it says in Colossians that you were in Christ. God was in Christ at the cross. You, it was you, their father. Miraculously and mysteriously, we don't know how, but it was you in there that would reconcile us so that today, you walked out of your tomb of death we today, Lord, can walk out of our tomb of death and sin, that we might rise and live for you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.